food chain? No, what's the food? No, what's the your top of the food chain? Yeah, the top of the food chain. It's food chain. If you're a lion, you sleep on your back with your balls out in the sun, <laughs> right? But if you're a parrot and you're on the bottom of the food chain, you sleep while you're wide awake and one eye's looking around, making sure nobody's coming to eat you. Here's what I've never understood: yeah. the lions can do it, and it's just fine. You're the top. You're the top of the food chain. No one's gonna mess with the lions. Quiet, please. I do it one fucking time in Hawaii, and I can never go back to that resort <laughs> no, ever again. Never. I don't understand. I understand. Show you a little sun on my balls. They spend all day inside. I just want a little color on the scrotum, sure. and now I can never go back to the Waikiki uh, Wyndham Resort ever, sir. I know they call it a blowhole, but that's not what you do with it. Three, I didn't know. Company presents a truly terrible podcast. Welcome to Nonsense, episode number 49. I'm Jeff Parker. I'm the guy with COVID. This is our take on the week's business tech and entertainment headlines. This time we'll look at music. All of it. I mean, that's a lot of music. Are we going to cover all of it today? Because I feel like it's only a half an hour show. It's World Monkey Day. Monkey Day aims to educate people about the threats faced by primates in the wild, such as habitat loss, hunting, and the illegal pet trade. Uh, they should probably warn them about Elon Musk, too. By raising awareness, Monkey Day encourages people to support organizations working to protect primates and their habitats. If you don't know of such an organization, may we recommend the World Wildlife Fund. This is a perfect time to sneak in an end-of-year donation to an amazing cause. We'll put the link in the show notes. How should we go? It always starts out well, and then you do this intro and then I start thinking about Musk killing monkeys and now I'm just sad. As I mentioned earlier, I've got uh, I've got the COVID again. I'm so sorry. You know, it's actually in some ways been more pleasant than not. What? Well, I'm recently <laughs> boosted, so my symptoms have been basically non-existent. Oh, yeah. I've had like yeah. a mild cold, not even... What a massive difference that makes. Oh, jeez. It's been like the softest cold I've ever had. Well, I'm sure my genetics have something to do with it too, but I get to spend time away from my kids because yeah. I have to. Right. I can't be with right. them. I'm sick. So that's been, you know, what's the opposite of terrible again? They video call you? I did. I set up, I set up Amazon <laughs> on echoes for them and they they fight to see who gets the video call me to talk to me it's the cutest thing ever uh neither of them understand how these communications work they like to just be in the other side of the room yelling at me into their echo but it's still pretty funny i love it but my wife has been out of town so i've had to manage the children a bit here and there with face mask i hope with face mask. yeah i've been masked yeah. up and, and and let me tell you showering with two little boys is already fun enough let alone when you're wearing a face mask and begging your children not to splash you in the face oh sure to get the mask wet <laughs> yeah this is this has been my day for the past week but i'm better now i still have a faint line so i'm still wearing a mask but i can come out of isolation faint line on the on the covid test yes my covid test is very very faint uh-huh. so my viral load is low but still uh non-zero when you have any kind of line does that mean you can communicate the virus well in theory theory you've got some virus in you still this is on an antigen test in theory you've got some virus in you still uh-huh. so in theory yes you could communicate said virus okay and in theory I mean, it depends how sensitive it is there's all sorts of shit that goes into this but in theory when the when the line is clean then uh, you are good to go and then you won't infect anyone in theory but you could still test positive on a PCR test for months because that's just shown some of the, the DNA of the virus still floating around your system yeah anyway I'm excited to get uh, to get back to something normal I think I'm a couple days away tired of living in your office are you um no I mean I would like I would I really wouldn't mind to have like a good solid 10 days your office is really nice I know it's really nice it's full of shit right now but it's an office slash media room so I got to watch a bunch of TV as I mentioned and yeah just just generally have a have a good time and I got to do some fun stuff for this show which you'll find later as we get into my segment here shortly but uh, I made a playlist on Spotify for the first time a nonsense first 
to support the segment that I'm doing. Oh, that's interesting. So that you can listen along at home. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I'll put it in the show notes. And it has all the songs ever recorded. It has all of them. Yeah, that's the segment. The segment is all of the music. That's... Uh, and then we're gonna start with the A's. Today we're just gonna start with the A's. You wouldn't think that Spotify would let you do that. Yeah, they, it turns out they're 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 hurting for revenue, so they're fine. I paid an extra three bucks for it. This will be the part where you ask me how my week's going. Yeah, I was about to do that. Okay, look, COVID hasn't killed all the brain cells. It's still how this fucking show works. All right, I say stuff, you laugh, you say stuff, I gloss over it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How's your week going? Shohei Otani is a Dodger, so my week's going just fine. Thank you very much. A $700 million contract over 10 years. In a related story, a hot dog at Dodger Stadium is now $400. <laughs> oh, so the price went down. Oh, how great. The price went down. Oh, yeah, how nice. Cheaper. Shohei came in and said, look, we want this to be more like Costco. No $600 hot dogs. <laughs> it's like they're propping up the Dodgers with hot dog sales. The interesting part of the deal is, of course, that he has, yeah, yeah. Otani has structured the deal to pay himself $2 million a year for 10 years for salary cap purposes and then pay out the remaining $680 million. So it does not affect the Dodgers' salary sure. cap. But in 2033, they're fucked. Can't even have ushers. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Don't have nothing. The but the amazing it. thing is that MLB allows this. Yeah, I, I'm not close enough to the sports and all how these caps work and all of this stuff, but this does seem like they're they're kind of playing within the rules, but not the spirit of the rules. Magic Johnson had a, had a deal where he got $25 million from the Lakers, but he got a, it, was, it was paid out over 25 years, a million dollars a year, yeah. whether he played for the team or did not play for the team. He got a okay. million dollars a year, and it obviously made it so that he was well under any any salary cap. You would think they would have seen that and said, you know, what we ought to do is whatever the, sure. whatever the contract is worth, whatever the value is, yeah. let's divide that over the number of years and just apply that much of the contract every year. Yeah, I know. I hear you. I think that's a good idea. But to be fair, division is hard. Division is hard. You got to carry the one sometimes. <laughs> I, hadn't, and I a, hadn't realized yeah, there was going to be math. That's tough. Involved. Especially long division. What's what 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 is a quotient, really? Where does it even go? I don't know. A divisor? No idea. We should let our listeners in on the fact that we are both moving very slowly today. You already mentioned this, but I got vaxxed on money for RSV, the flu, and the latest COVID booster, and I'm still kind of a disaster. Meanwhile, as you have said, uh, you actually have COVID, Yep. so we're both kind of struggling with low energy, but we will soldier on. You uh, you just outed yourself in your age, by the way, by saying that the RSV booster, that only goes to the old people. Yeah, you got to be 60 years old to get it. I have a cousin, by the way, who has RSV. Oh, really? She's 58. Oh, jeez. Virus didn't bother to check her ID. I, yeah, we... RSV should have said, nope. You're too young. I can't. I can't infect you. Apparently, that's the cutoff. You got to yeah, be at least sixty. That's, that's how RSV works. Uh, have you gotten your shingles booster? I have had my shingles. Uh, uh, the new shingles. There's two. There was one that was yeah. from years and years ago. Old shingles. And there's a new one. New and I've had both Good. parts of the recent shingles. The few people I know that have gotten shingles later in life say it is terrible. I had a friend who had it for six months. Oh. Man, yeah, just as horrible. bad as you can possibly imagine. So, and then we had another friend who got shingles, who who lives kind of kind of by us. And so we thought, oh, you know what? Let's get let's get that shingles. Let's yeah, get that shingles. Let's get that back. shot. Yeah, we raced. Over. We raced to our local CVS Coughing to get on that your doorknob. Let us get to our headlines. Tesla recalls nearly all vehicles sold in the U.S. to fix system linked to autopilot. <laughs> I, I'm so tired of this show featuring Elon Musk in so many stories. We should fire our producers. Tesla is recalling nearly all of the vehicles it sold in the U.S. More than two million across its model lineup to fix a defective system that's supposed to ensure drivers are paying attention when they use autopilot. I'm mystified. We have been saying forever this autopilot doesn't sure. work. Yeah. This is L2. It does not work. Well, you cannot it, not pay attention. It does what L2 does. It just doesn't do not what L2 But they L2 don't advertise does. it at L2. Of I mean, course. They're putting the words autopilot on it. Autopilot, you'd think of yeah, L5. The, the recall comes after a two-year investigation by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to a series of crashes that happened while the autopilot partially automated driving system was in use. Some were dead the agency says its investigation found autopilot's method of ensuring that drivers are paying attention can be inadequate and can lead to foreseeable mis-
misuse of the system. Now I find this hard to believe. Uh, isn't this just like the when you go to sign up for a website and they're like, do you agree to all these terms? And you just say, yes, I swear. Isn't that basically what this is? Without reading it? You just, a little checkbox comes up and they're like, do you promise to look at the road? And you're like, yes, of course. Do you really, really, really promise? I'm not going to be in the backseat taking a nap while my car drives down the road. <laughs> but I think if you if you turn on something called autopilot, that means you get to go take a nap in the back. Oh yeah, I good think- point. Because if it's autopilot, you think it would automatically pilot the vehicle and you, and you don't have to do anything. Sure. You can just sit in the back and play Wordle. Take a nap, read a book. So this recall covers like everything. Y's, S's, 3's, X's, all of their models between October 5th, 2012 I like and you, December 7th. I like that you purposely didn't put that into the sexy order that he intends it to be. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. What's curious about this, I read a little yeah, bit. it's a software update. They don't have to, you don't yeah. have to take your car in. It just and, updates. And so the, the folks there. that were, that sort of, I think, brought this to light and were the most vocal about this being problematic have said, look, we're not really fixing the underlying problem. We're not putting cameras oh, on yeah. the driver to know if they're paying attention. Right. We're not doing object detection in the road, but it's seems like this is a calculated decision by the uh, NHTSA to say, well, at least now we get them to do something now, as opposed to a bigger fix that might take years right. of them. Better to do something than nothing. Wrangling with them. Maybe changing the name from autopilot, like every other electric car company that sells L2, and they call it driver assist. Hey, look, they can call whatever they want. Okay. They've well, got he's saying of, they have a first amendment, they have a first, first, first amendment right to call it whatever they want. No, I, you don't. I know. No, you don't. Literally, I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek on this. They're literally claiming, Tesla's literally claiming that they have a first amendment right to call it first full self-driving and i'm like yeah i don't think that's how that works you can't it's say, just not true yes you can't say like oh look if you push this button the car will take you to the moon please buy it and then you push the button they're like i'm oh, just kidding it doesn't do it, that it doesn't do that why no. would you think it would do that we just said that it doesn't really but the california dmv is getting pretty pissed off about this right oh yeah they're, they're quite upset and r- rightly so yeah i mean and and i love tesla's response to this so the california dmv has said look this is false advertising you need to stop doing it and tesla's defense is well, we've been doing it for seven years. You haven't bitched about it before, so it must be okay. It's like, I'm not taking Musk's side on this. Believe me, I'm not taking Musk's side on this. Yeah. But what did take the DMV so long? Have you been to the fucking DMV? <laughs> That's Jesus not the Christ, DMV. I'm waiting in line right now. I've no, been here for you, three you weeks. Get in a, you, you, you sign up for your appointment online. You go in. You got a 10-minute window. They are fast. It's great. <laughs> Unless you're doing weird things, it's really quick. Do you think that's how this works with this with the Tesla lawyers in this lawsuit? They have to show up with the DMV attorneys, and they're like, now serving. Within a 10-minute window. C-123. <laughs> they're like, oh, that's us. Come on, Bob. No, but their argument is you've let this sit for too long and now it's not okay. Obviously, that's that's no argument because they're still selling of cars. Course. Every time they sell a car, they restart the clock yeah. or whatever the but like, you know, statute like of Your expectation is the DMV are fucking experts on this. Maybe they just gave you the benefit of the doubt when you released it and called it full self-driving. They're like, well, it's going to be that soon. Clearly, they did give them the benefit of the doubt. and and the, But the DMV should have actually, I think, been quicker to, to act on this. this Aren't is there also not like a, a mountain thing. of people that are pretty grumpy and I think rightfully so? for spending 10 grand or 10 grand plus 15 grand to pre-buy yeah I think it was anywhere from 8 to 10 right it ramped up over yeah, or 8 to 15, 15 yeah grand. it ramped up over time to buy this full self-driving that never came and they're like well fuck you you promised yeah. me this thing that never came so I can understand the DMV being like well it's beta right now but maybe it'll be out in a couple of years and then 9 fucking years later they're like uh so it turns out that's vaporware except no because people are actually using it even though they call it beta oh that, no no, no. I understand it doesn't work of that course. doesn't give them the of license course. to use things but I'm that just don't 
saying like if you want to throw the DMV some rope, and I'm not in the business of defending the DMV at all. Uh, if you want to throw them some rope and just be like, well, you did call this thing beta, and you were going to complete it at some point soon-ish. That could be part of why they gave you seven years, right? Right. After it hit enough telephone of poles, people running sure. into shit and killing themselves. Although you should, the, the reverse should be how it works. You should first have totally. to prove that it works before you can. But I, before well, you can I agree issue with you it. on that. One, how do you prove that it works? There is no test for this, or maybe there is now, but there certainly wasn't. There certainly wasn't well, ten years ago. Drive around and watch it not crash. Get a certain uh, number uh, of miles. Uh, yeah, on it, you know. But I'm, once you've got two million miles or ten million miles, whatever the number is, without crashes, sure. maybe you've but got like things like works. you know tail lights. We know they're supposed to have a certain number of lumens, and if they don't put out that many lumens, you go well, it fails the test. I don't think that existed, and maybe now again it does. I doubt that it does as a test for self-driving. Again, uh, maybe now actually it does because California's been pretty. Well, it did with Waymo because Waymo has been logging miles in those Waymo yes. cars, those self-driving Waymo cars for years, and and under pretty careful supervision. I don't I mean, think that was a thing where they go, if you want to be a L2 car or an L4 car, whatever, here in California, you have to do these things. I think that this has been developed and Tesla just happened to be super early. I'm not saying this lets them off the hook at all. That's true. I'm sure, I'm sure the regulation yeah. does follow, you know, by violation of the law. For sure. We, we, we crash a lot of cars and then we say, hey, we ought to have a regulation. Well, that okay, absolutely happens yes, for sure. But now let me challenge what you said there. Can we please crash those in a more controlled setting? I'd prefer for that to happen than them just plowing through people on, you know, Venice Boulevard. Crash a few cars and then stop the whole thing and, and, and warn people this could be taken away at any moment. This is sure. And like, that's what your crack legal team came up with. It was like something between it took you a long time to respond and First Amendment. But he's high. Uh, so, so he's saying, oh, no, it's a First Amendment issue. And he's screaming at them and they're like going, well, you know, our, our check's clear. So let's go ahead and say whatever he wants us to say. That's also a, a problem with our legal system is there's nothing. None of this splashes sure. back on the lawyers for spewing out the idiocy sure. of their clients. The California DMV is seeking a suspension or revocation of Tesla's yeah, which, manufacturer by the way, license. They literally want them to stop making cars. Did not know they had the power to do that. That is kind of crazy. When I first read this, I thought they were like, I don't know if they do. do they? I don't know. When I first read this, I thought it was the California DMV is saying like, we don't want you like, we're not gonna let you sell cars in California right, right, anymore. Right. And then I read a little closer. And I was like, no, no, it's not. Not it's not, what not it just says. selling. So I'm sure this is going to become a, you know, how terrible is California? Let's go make all our cars in Texas and they'll just move it over to Texas and make all their car killing machines there. Although think about how many Teslas sell oh, in California. Man, They'd probably got the a bulk of them. Of them sell I mean, and most of those have to be in Southern California sure. and San Francisco, too. Yeah, yeah. From SF and L.A. I mean, that's got to be we're 10 percent of the U.S. population as it is. And for folks that are buying EVs, I've got to believe we're way more than 10 percent of the population of folks that are buying EVs. There's a bigger issue here in that having someone who is running a car company who yeah. is making the bottom line sure. decisions, the fundamental decisions of what goes into a car and doesn't yeah. go into a car. Having that person who clearly has a drug problem. How well, does that work? How can look, that you say drug work? problem? I think he has a drug solution. Uh, just ketamine. Okay. He's just like the Oprah of ketamine. Just everybody gets ketamine. <laughs> well, he thinks he certainly thinks it's a solution. If you saw the Andrew Ross Sorkin interview, uh, a deal book or my good friend, Jonathan, Jonathan yeah. Ross Sorkin, yeah, yeah. my good friend, totally. Jonathan, yeah. you know, no, he has, if you're going to get loaded before you go out and in front of the public sure. deal book. Imagine what you're doing before you go into the office on Wednesday. Yeah, good point. Do you think he's more high, the same high, or less high on Wednesday in the office? Can't be sure. <laughs> I have no idea, but whatever it is, this is not someone who should be making life and death car manufacturing decisions. Or at least share the ketamine with the rest of us. I would say one of those two things. Like if there's a new Tesla Model K and it just has, it comes with a, <laughs> a little ketamine dispenser in it. 
I'm not going to say no, but that might be my first Tesla. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know if they're looking for product design guidance, but I would uh, I would help share that with them. Okay, now for the headlines. Up next, CJ is going to talk about music. All the music. Uh, specifically, only things that you can play on the sitar. Okay, well, that's, that's got to be about half, half the music, music right? Yeah, the sitar, and then next week we'll do the harp. Great. And uh, we'll have everything, everything covered. Fantastic. It's the new sitar harp episode. Let's go. remember what your first concert was my first uh, co- concert generally or my first musical concert well I was thinking your first musical concert but you can start with generally what was generally your first concert? my first my very first concert was Martin Mull the comedian yeah at the CSUS gym which was spectacular he was what is CSUS so good Cal State Sacramento I don't remember what, what University of Sacramento Cal State something, University of Sacramento something. okay yeah I believe and you. he was fan- he was fantastic he was great but that was my first musical concert my first okay. Musical concert, I think it was at the Cal State Fairgrounds. Okay. And it was, uh, you want to guess, or you, and I'll give you hints if you want. Musical concert, first one, the Beatles. Thank you. <laughs> no? Was not the Beatles? I, I would have loved. No, I was too young. Uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. You saw Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as your first concert? Uh, that was my first concert. Wow. That's incredible. That I remember. Now, before that, I had seen, of course, the Carpenters growing up. Okay. Because we, we went to Reno a lot. We went okay. in Lake Tahoe to see shows as a sure. kid. Sure. And for whatever reason, they could get us into the showroom, and I would be yeah. with my parents, and we saw tons. You, you of had concerts. teeth, which was a magnificent triumph back in Reno days. I had. Uh, we saw a ton of those kinds of concerts, okay. but the first like actual Legit concert rock show where I wasn't with my parents, and it was a rock and roll show, was Tom Petty. That would be great. That would have been amazing. It was sensational, and by the way, with time, he only got better right up until the end. Yeah, I, I really wanted to see him again, but um, you know, the clock stops, and you don't know. I saw him once at a small venue, and he was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could have seen him again play a longer set. My first concerts were Journey and the Jay Giles Band. Oh, wow. I was like That's a toddler. I, I think I was I was two for one and three for the I other. was a massive Journey fan growing up. I still up. am a massive Journey fan. Don't Stop Believing is still my favorite song of all time. I saw them a, a few years ago. It's probably been three or four years now. And I was, I was, and I love Journey. So maybe my expectations were also set too Maybe high. we should change this show to being a concert review show. <laughs> From the golden <laughs> Could years. Be. Could be. Point being, I love music. I, I'm pretty sure you love music as well because we talk about it on non-zero amount of time. Endlessly, sure. I don't believe I have much ability to create music uh, or even really understand it, but I do appreciate it in my own way. Mm-hmm. And much, this is, of course, much to the chagrin of nearly all my music industry friends, save the one that actually agrees with my shitty music choices and uh, yeah. rock on TVP. He's probably listening. Uh, he and I always play the same terrible shit to annoy all of our other music friends, but <laughs> I have never tried to write a song. Because it sounds super fucking hard to me, mm-hmm. right? It does not sound easy. According to the top three performing rights organizations, so that's ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, yeah. there are about two million songwriters active in the U.S. alone, which kind of blew I my mind. I think there's now another performing rights organization. Irving Azoff started it. Global Music Rights. That's it. GMR. So there are uh, about 2 million songwriters active in the U.S. alone. That number strikes me as super high. Sure. And that is a lot of songwriters. For perspective... Everyone who plays the guitar writes songs. Totally. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. So for perspective, in May of last year, we counted about 3.5 million retail salespersons, 3.3 million fast food workers, and 3 million nurses. So songwriters isn't far behind, right? Just to give you a little perspective on this. And it's harder to estimate how much music is released annually, let alone how many songs there are out there in the the entire universe. I've seen numbers uh, between 70,000 and 110,000 albums being released per year, and as many as 40,000 tracks being added to Spotify daily. 
which is about 15-ish million a year if you math it out. Yeah. But it's hard to know what's new music and what's older tracks being added to the platform. One approximation I looked at is the number of songs that were streamed at least once. And this number jumped from 33 million in 2017 to 36.3 million in 2018. And that even is five years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're dealing with the order of tens of millions of songs is sort of what I'm getting at, right? It's a big Steve Allen, movie. the guy who hosted The Tonight Show, yeah. the first host of The Tonight Show, yep. used to write it, a, a new song every morning. Wow. Really? Wrote a song every day. For the show or just to write a song? No, just just to, for the practice of writing the song. That's incredible. Yeah. I can't even write a joke every day. I can't even write a joke once a month. Most of the songs were terrible, but, but sure. I mean, you know, it's amazing that you can do that. Well, if you believe that you just got to fail a bunch in order to find the winner, then you want to get all the failures right. out of the way. Oh, so for sure. Write them every day. Uh, okay, so looking at more recent data, in 2022, Rob Jonas, he's the CEO of Luminate, which is the entertainment market monitor and insight provider. It used to be called MRC Data and I think Nielsen Music. Uh-huh. He noted that there are over 67 million audio tracks on streaming services today that, at least in the 2022 calendar year, attracted 10 or fewer streams apiece in the year, wow. right? Now, that's just under half of the entire catalog of about 158 million audio tracks available worldwide. Uh, a quarter of those, right? A quarter of the 158 million audio tracks uh, attracted zero plays that year. Wow. That's insane, right? That's, that hard drive space is free, so who cares? That's 38 million tracks with zero plays. Right. It's just, I guess that I guess that does add up. It's just staggering. Oh, forget about the cost. I'm just thinking about the, the amount of music that's out there that is basically there's no light shining on it, right? Right, right. So, okay, so when you've got so many songwriters, 2 million plus just, just in the U.S., and uh, over 160 million songs, right? I got to believe it's a challenge to avoid writing a song that's too similar to an existing one. Yeah. But this begs the question, what does too similar mean? Oh, I think is, there are probably rules about those things. Well, yes. kind of. But here's what's interesting. And there's there's a a, a, um, a very interesting play. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to Ghostbusters. Yeah. We've, oh, we've, okay. This, okay. Is, this is so good. Um, I love the fact that you know that. I would argue that with so many songs and parts of songs that are now live on SoundCloud and YouTube, it seems that there's it's sort of equal parts impossible to not hear a given song or melody and yet also impossible to find that needle in the haystack, right? Like yeah, it's all there, sure. but you can't find it all. Certainly nobody's heard it all, right? I don't think any human has heard all 170 million tracks out there. Right. I don't, I don't think there's like a... Um, uh, but an AI could... Oh, sure. And not only could, has, right? Yeah. That, and there has been a steady stream of lawsuits aimed at songwriters by other songwriters who claim that their work was copied or just outright stolen, right? There's a whole discipline. I didn't know this till I was looking at this at this segment. There's an entire discipline called forensic musicology. We have experts who testify at trials to explain to courts why a song may or may not have been plagiarized. Okay. So there's this whole world of this, right? And I suspect the difficulty for songwriters is that they may have copied something inadvertently. Maybe they heard a song years ago and it's stuck in the back of their mind and they really didn't know that they were copying another song. Yeah. Unfortunately for these songwriters, intent doesn't get them off the hook for sounding too much like another song. Of course. There have been cases where the songwriter just credited the original writer as a co-writer on the song to avoid charges of plagiarism. This would mean that they're giving up a portion of their royalties even if the co-writer actually had no impact or effect on the songwriter to begin with. Sure. And, and I understand the defensive move, right? I understand you being like, look, I'm gonna give a slice of this to you. But it, it just seems crazy to me and that this is only going to get worse because you have 
so many more songs coming out there. Right? And that presumes that the person who's being co- the credited as co-writer who didn't do the co-writing, who wrote something else that inspired you, yeah. is okay with the amount exactly. that you've given them. <laughs> is okay in accepting that. Right. Uh, 50%? No, maybe I want 85. Maybe I want 95%. That is, that is yep. my song. You know, yep. sure. There have been plenty of recent cases that uh, I think folks are familiar with. Uh, Marcus Gray sued Katy Perry in 2014, saying she had plagiarized an eight-note riff from his track Joyful Noise on her track Dark Horse. A jury agreed and awarded him a $2.8 million payout, but a judge later overturned the verdict, saying that the melody was not, quote, particularly unique or rare. And what qualified the judge to make uh, that assessment just because he's a judge? I mean, that's insane. Upholding that decision, an appeals court said last year the original verdict could have suffocated music creativity, which I thought was a really interesting comment. Okay. Earlier this year, 2023, Ed Sheeran defended a second copyright lawsuit in federal court in Manhattan over similarities between his hit Thinking Out Loud and Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. Boy, Marvin Gaye has been one who's been tapped uh, left and right. He's been such a huge influence oh, on everyone. Oh, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. U.S. District Judge Louis Stanton dismissed the case, ruling that the parts of Let's Get It On Sheeran was accused of infringing were too common for copyright protection. He went on okay. to find that the combination of chord progression and harmonic rhythm in Gaye's song was a, quote, basic musical building block that was too common to merit copyright protection. Interesting. Right? And that was just this year. You mentioned the one that I think is one of my favorites, those favorites that I know of, and I had just discovered this recently, was that shortly after Ghostbusters' release in 1984, Huey Lewis sued Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism, alleging that Parker had copied the melody, primarily the bass line, from Lewis's 1983 song, I Want a New Drug. The case was settled out of court in 1985 for an undisclosed sum, and a confidentiality agreement that prohibited discussion of the case. Right. According to Parker, there were several lawsuits at the time because, quote, when you sell that many records, I think everybody wants to say that they wrote the song. But in that case, I think mm. Huey Lewis really did write the song. Well, yeah, because in 2004, there's an article in Premiere Magazine where the filmmakers admitted to using the song I Want a New Drug as temporary background music in sure. many scenes. They also noted that they had offered to hire Huey Lewis in the news to write the main theme, but the band had declined. The yeah. filmmakers then gave film footage with Lewis's song in the background to Parker to aid him in writing the theme song. Yeah, sure, sure. So right, so kind of hard to wiggle out of that one. A, uh, as an interesting aside in this story, Parker later sued Lewis for breaching the confidentiality agreement in a 2001 episode of VH1's Behind the Music by reasserting that Parker stole the song. And regarding right. the case against Lewis, Parker said, quote, I got a lot of money out of that, which <laughs> I just think is kind of, it just kind of tickles me, right? That it's like they went back and forth, signed a confidentiality agreement, and then uh, you know Huey said something uh, on behind the music, and um, had to pay got to zapped pay some of that money right. back to Parker. Sure. Anyway, okay. So my point in is, in general, I think confidentiality agreements are for the for the birds. Terrible. I mean, it's, my point is that there are plenty of these quote your songs sound like my song lawsuits, right? And I get it; nobody wants to have their IP stolen, but there is by definition a finite number of combinations that you can put notes together into, right? Like. There's well, only so, it's got to be a huge number. It's a, well, yeah, of course, right? It's uh, it's a super large number. And the ones that, quote, sound good are a much, much smaller subset. Okay. So we are now in this era when millions of songwriters upload music to the internet. Just about any song can be plucked from obscurity by a TikTok teen, and it seems inevitable that the same melodies are going to end up in different songs, right? Yeah. That's sort of the point that I'm trying to make. And songwriters now are have to be super cautious since plagiarism lawsuits are flying around and, and the winner in court is usually the one you'd least suspect. One of the reasons why it's so tough to defend a copyright lawsuit is because the court now considers a melody just a sequence of pitches. 
In the Dark Horse case, the jury initially found that she had infringed upon the copyright of Marcus Gray, even though Perry insisted that she had never heard of the song or the rapper himself. Sure. For some musicians, musicologists, and lawyers, the verdict felt very scary. Could the world run out of original melodies? Now, these two guys in particular. Well, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, it's it, it. if you think of it as like a, it, it is finite, right? It's a finite resource. It has to be a finite number. Damon Rayel and Noah Rubin were two of these worried musicians. They developed a program that recorded every possible interesting melody via MIDI to a hard drive, but not for the reasons that you might think. Real is unique in that he's a musician, a programmer, and an attorney who understands how copyright works. Well, that's a deadly combination. It was his idea to exhaust all possible melodies, and in so doing, protect musicians from being sued for copying songs they don't remember hearing. Along with Ruben, his partner on this, and sort of his programming friend, they committed this vast library of melodies to a hard drive, which automatically bestowed copyright on all of them as soon as the melodies were placed on a, quote, fixed, sure. tangible medium. Of course. Now, this might initially seem sinister, but the two put all of these melodies into the public domain. Yeah, and that's ingenious as well. Yes, and this is the part that like, I saw this, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. In fact, anybody can download the works and the program the two used in order to take the process further at allthemusic.info, which I will put a link to in the, in the yeah, show that's notes. Really, that's really cool. Right, so they basically said, okay, we're gonna take some subset of what's possible and we're gonna make this all PD, all public domain, and put it out there for everyone to share, which is kind of brilliant. And I want to talk a little bit today about about how they did it and then what could come out of this. And mm -hmm. if you take just the 88 notes on a piano, right, for instance, in a 12-note sequence, you get 216 sextillion melodies. Hang on, hang on, carry the one. And that's only within the sort of the Western tradition, right, in, in which these particular frequency ranges are considered notes. So that's a big number, finite number, big number. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're talking about Western popular music, in the range in which hit songs are made, that is a radically restricted domain. And within it, the number of melodies is far more comprehensible. For example, there are only 243 combinations of a sequence of three notes up and down and five notes wide that most pop songs fall into. So as you can see, it's extremely easy to copy another song without even knowing it. Sure, sure. Popular music tends to use a more limited range of notes than an entire piano. And Real and Rubin figured they would cover just a single octave which is what most pop songs use. Reasonable. Rhythms were not considered because they are not legally applicable. Interesting. They'd wanted to generate all possible melodies on the piano, but after some prototyping, settled for 12-note melodies in a popular range that Real had seen implicated in copyright litigation, the octave ascending from middle C. Most pop melodies run fewer than 12 notes, and if you generated every possible melody with just the eight notes of the C scale, that would be eight to the 12 melodies. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. nearly 69 billion. Hang on. Yes. So that's a big number, right? But it's a thinkable number. And remember, there are already 160 million songs streamed okay. out there. It's a thinkable number. <laughs> it's thinkable, I guess. It's still enormous. I don't know, man. How much storage do you have on your, your machine right now? On my computer? Yes, yes, sir. Like four terabytes. There's nothing. That is a much, much bigger number. Four terabytes than 69 billion. Okay, but I can't fit a song into one bite. It's a very shitty song. You can. It's just <laughs> Real and Ruben hatched a plot to create software that would write every melody, at least within this popular range. It wouldn't be unlike dialing every possible telephone number, right? So if you were to right. start with it's like exactly one, 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 like, one, yeah. one, and then you just work all your way up. So effectively, they would be doing, you know, do, 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 
do, do, do, re, and going all the way up through all of these songs. That was their, their yeah, concept. Sounds awful, but yes. It does sound awful. <laughs> but some of them, but hey, Monkey's on a typewriter, right? Some of them are going to yeah, be good. That's what, they're literally doing it, all except for not they're, Monkeys. They're, they're doing it you know, procedurally. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of monkeying going on here. You'll like this next part. I put this in just for you, Mr. Parker. Even to complete this set, Ruben had to switch programming languages from Python to Rust. I wonder why. He said, because it gave us the speed increase that he needed. Oh, sure. Python had too much overhead, was running too slow. I'm a big Rust fan. I know you're a Rust a, fan, which not is why I put that in there. Correct. I mean, he could have gone straight to C, but he'd still be uh, debugging <laughs> the fucking memory allocation issues that he'd have with it. Okay, so soon these guys had a hard drive filled with almost 69 billion melodies. And in a conversation with Adam Neely, a YouTuber who helped spread the word about this project, Real alluded to previous copyright thought experiments. And he said, quote, this has been a concept that has been discussed, he said, but no one has ever brute forced it in this way. Yeah, yeah. By doing this, these guys hope to actually put an end to what many consider frivolous copyright lawsuits like the ones I mentioned previously. Sure. In just about all infringement cases, a jury rules against a songwriter if it's possible they had access to a previous work somehow. That means that a songwriter might accidentally copy a song that they've heard and forgotten about or even write it independently without ever hearing it, yet still be liable for plagiarism. Paul McCartney, when he wrote yesterday, yeah. walked around with that melody in his head. He didn't have, didn't have words to it yet. Sure. And and was thinking, where have I heard this melody? Where have I heard this oh, melody? Oh, really? Where? Oh, really? Yeah, and, and kept asking everybody, "What have you? where have I heard this? What is this song? What is this song? What is this song? Because the melody just came to him. Eventually, everybody was like, yeah, no, never heard it. Just release it and uh, they'll come out and tell you. But they didn't. That's crazy. That's really funny. Kind the of the word he, The this. words he used, he didn't have the, the lyrics yesterday yet, so he he said the, the, he would sing it to scrambled eggs. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> yeah. Is that true? true? Uh-huh. I'm going to start singing this now every time I make my kids scrambled eggs. <laughs> Thank you for making their life a little bit worse. I appreciate I that. Again. For a little perspective, being a part of a lawsuit for copyright infringement is not trivial, right? It costs up to two million bucks, whether you win or not. And these guys are th- these two, right? Um, uh, Real and Ruben. They're trying to bring some reason back into the process by saying that all songs have already been copyrighted and in the public domain. I love that they did this. I think this is so smart. To my knowledge, uh, this hasn't been used as a legal argument yet. So it's still up to a court to decide. Stand by. If it's the case. Yeah, exactly. Now, in The Atlantic, uh, there was an article that I stole most of this from. Alexis Madrigal goes on to say that Real and Ruben's work is provocative on several levels. One, it raises some of the same issues about originality that haunt many discussions on creativity. Uh, a recent 99% Invisible podcast, which is another great show you guys should listen to, um, talks about the song Who Let the Dogs Out? And this proved an especially evocative example of the possibility of unintentional duplication. Uh, ben Sisto, who is an artist who spent a decade, a decade, tracing the origins of the woof, woof, woof hook. Yeah. Right? You know, in the song? Yeah. He found variation after variation of that horrible song throughout musical history, some seemingly connected by a chain of transmission, others not at all. And uh, he said, quote, one of the biggest myths we tell ourselves about art is that it is made by individuals. And that myth is what the art market is propped up on. Sisto told the show's host uh, he's come to believe instead that it is impossible to reliably distinguish what people invent from what they borrow. Sure. And he said, quote, I think that all these ideas apply to every piece of creative work ever made. And it's just about the very nature of art and life. So on another level, the Melody Project Ask some interesting questions about machine creation. Is writing some software to output MIDI melodies to a hard drive the same as if you'd created the song, played it on your xylophone, and uploaded it to SoundCloud? Did Real and Ruben free music from restriction, or did they infringe on millions of copyrights? Well, they had to infringe on millions of, of copyrights course. at the same time. Well, that's what I saw. So, that, so my read on this is that, at the very least, you know, these works uh, highlight the longstanding flaws of the current music copyright system, but legal experts were decidedly less enthusiastic about whether it would actually help musicians in a live fire copyright case. Yeah. So Cristelia Garcia, 
She's a law professor at the University of Colorado. She saw things in mostly the same way. She said it's an interesting thought experiment, and it and she thinks it does a good job of exposing the absurd point we've reached in the music copyright infringement world. But she didn't think the project could prevent copyright infringement suits over melodies. She said, quote, I am not at all convinced it does what they hope it will do, i.e. give artists a free pass out of infringement suits, since so many of their melodies are almost certainly already owned by someone else. Sure. Now, I look at that and I go, okay, for the ones that are already used, sure. Right. You, whoever had the prior art, right, could argue that they had it first. So it seems to me this will help for the countless number of melodies that have yet to be used. It does still leave a question mark around the ones that have been already used. But I go, I look at that and I go, well... Isn't that the whole point? Isn't the whole point to just say like it's all already out there and just because somebody happened to come up with those four notes in that order first doesn't mean they should be entitled to it forevermore. Yeah. But that's I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I have, I have mixed feelings about that. But I do love that that they put into the public domain all songs going forward that have not been created sure. with this. You know, so that's well, really, really. Cool and the, these is. guys are expanding their range of notes and starting to account for rhythm. Ultimately, they hope that legislation, not coding projects, can reform how copyright works in the U.S. And I think that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to use these projects as a way to get copyright reform, ultimately. Sure. Real said he does not want to see their Melody Project adjudicated in court. He said a better place to do it, quote, is in Congress to modify the copyright law in a way that makes sense, uh -huh. which I totally get this with their, you know, it's almost like performance art in trying to show the world, hey, this is a mess. We need to fix it. I found the story fascinating on its own. But I found it to be an interesting and arguably easier to understand precursor to what I think is likely to come around AI copyright discussions. Because sure. while maybe this is dry on its surface, we're going to need some policy around copyright in the brave new world of AI. Attribution, re recognition, compensation, it all needs to get ironed out and, and quickly because that train is moving a hell of a lot faster than any music train has ever Sure, heard. sure. You already have people in, in neck deep in lawsuits around AI attribution. Absolutely. And, and I, I see so many parallels to this. Right. Like and that's that's been where I think this gets really interesting, even if you just take out AI for a second and you go, OK, well, I heard a song and it may have shaped the, the art that you created. That was the point that um, Sisto had made where it's hard to remove the the the, the borrowing from the in, uh, the invention when it comes to any sort of artistic work. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to be influenced by these other things. And that's what that's standing on the shoulders of giants. I get if you just knock off the same thing, that's that's, you know, should not be allowed and, and direct plagiarism. But man, there's a pretty wide gray area in the middle, and that's without AI. Right. So now with AI, that to me gets a lot more sticky. I don't know how any of that's going to shake out. I, I, I'm, I'm a bystander in the whole thing, and I've heard arguments on all sides of it, and I am as confused as anyone has ever been. Well, I would uh, disagree with you that you're a bystander because you, sir, are now a social influencer. <laughs> okay. And uh, and you, we have... I am watching these lawsuits fly left and right, and I say... pretty nuts. Going, yeah, that makes sense. And then the other person makes their argument, and I go, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's yeah. like... I, I get it. No, I get it. I want people to be creative, and I think that's why... So much of this IP and I want people to be incentivized exactly. to be creative. I want them to get paid for their creativity. And it's of like, all the people in the world who I want to get paid first, it's the artists. Totally. Yes. But like I look at I look at the patent system and I go, man, that was designed to protect people who had ideas to allow them to bring them to market. But man, has that been abused beyond? Oh yeah, that, that's totally right? gone off the rails. So like. I just feel like we all need to sit down and go, look. I can fix the patent system very easily. Yeah. You actually Open have to it. use your patent. Yeah, totally. You have totally. to actually bring your patent to market. And if you're not, then you're a patent troll and forget it. You shouldn't have a patent. Yeah. It no, I appreciate I, don't, I really don't think it's that easy. I think you could bring it to market and be like, he, I own the patent on 
website cookies and I will charge them $1 million for somebody that uses them. Like, you know, you can achieve the same thing. So how, how do you put guardrails on that? Yeah. I don't really know, but I know it's fucked and I know that it should be made better. And I love the fact, by that, the way, the early guys of the internet, the guys yeah. who invented ASCII, let's say, or, you know, a zillion, okay, other first they of just all, the threw it that, all into the public domain. I know they just threw everything into the public domain. Pell-mell. It was the and, guys and, who invented ASCII. There we was couldn't no fucking have, internet. We couldn't have computers without those people throwing their things into the public domain. I know. Well, it was all, it was all uh, educational institutions, right? It was all like yeah. all of that development came from them. And then you had commercialization that came after that or alongside that later. Right. So later, yeah. I appreciate that. Right. Like somebody came up with a transistor. Although that was that wasn't that wasn't really institutional. That was that was private uh, when the transition came along. But but sure, like you go back to the early RFC standards. Those were all every single one of those was written by someone at an at a educational institution. Everyone, right? Yeah. Most of them at ISI right here in, in LA. And and uh, and yeah. now you don't have that as the case anymore. Things move a lot faster and and uh, are commercialized. I totally get it. You still need. I still think we need a solution for what's going on with copyright. And it, it's interesting to see that music was our copyright and patent. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't, don't all IP. Patent. I should say all IP, all, all yeah. IP protection. Yeah. Because um, it, it's a mess. I'd argue the patent's in worse shape than copyright, but they're both in, in bad shape. And yeah. how do you fix that? I don't know. I uh, Getting back to the point. Copyright issue only recently this year because of AI has, you know, caught on fire. Patents before that were, were smoldering for a long time. Like a much yeah. bigger disaster. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm not claiming that it's easy, but I think we have to figure it out. I think we... Uh, we owe it. Oh, to we're gonna the, we're gonna figure it out before the singularity gets. We in. absolutely no, no, no. We're gonna figure it out in 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 court. We're gonna have slugfests in court. Yeah. figuring this out. I wonder. And, and the court rulings are gonna be a disaster. They're gonna be a mess. There's gonna be some that rule some way and some sure. that rule another way. It's gonna and eventually it will all get roughly sorted but out. But I'd also argue that it's really far behind, like really far behind. And that's what I don't know. Like, okay, you're saying it's a slugfest and could figure it out. How much of that is gonna be bells that we can't unring? Right. How much is going to be oh, codified? A big chunk. A big chunk of it. Right. Of Which course. Is kind of fascinating. So anyway, I mean, think about think about when advertising came along, when print media came along and sure. started putting in ads and there was no such thing as truth in advertising laws and people would just make things up for what sure. their products did. Totally. I mean, there was there. You had to have slug fests in courtrooms to sort all that out. Aren't we back to that, though? Like, it seems like it doesn't. I mean, I feel like we've gotten a little far away for from some reason in politics. It's still legal. I mean, I don't understand. You can just make things up in political ads with complete yeah. immunity. I don't really know how yeah, that works. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you just. But most other made, advertising, like, no. If you you can't say that Coca Cola cures your leprosy or whatever you want to say about. You know. Okay. Well, first of all, first of all, it was Pepsi and it did cure my leprosy. <laughs> okay. So let's just get that on record right now. Yeah. What's the what's the, there's like a T-shirt going around that's like alternative facts related. This is something like um, science doesn't care about your opinion. Right. Something oh sure like that, sure. Which. I always think it's great. It's like, okay, you can have an opinion on, I don't know, physics, but then physics is going to do what fucking physics does. It doesn't really doesn't care, care about what you, what you think. think it's going to do. It's like, these are the the rules of the world around us. Uh, if you found the the sort of melody brute force story interesting, I did. I would encourage our listeners to check out uh, Damien Reel's TEDx talk. I'll put the link in the show notes. He gives some great examples that really help color in the issue, including um, the... Uh, the Tom Petty, Sam Smith. Yeah. Um, he kind of sings it out. It, it, it's really cool. There's a bunch of those that he highlights and I just, it's a good talk. It's only 15, 20 minutes long. I haven't heard it, but I look but, forward uh, to it. But it's a good talk. Yeah. I'll put the link in the notes. Right. Anyway, that was my bit on, uh, uh, on the things. That's I'm your bit. On, that was your bit on the things. Is that, is that really, that was my bit on that's the your things. line to my summarize. The, that was your bit on the things. Huh? I've got medium COVID. Okay. <laughs> Would you just back the fuck up? Just well, all right. We have to get out of here, but quickly before we do, CJ's got to get his bit on the thing. <laughs> I have no idea. This is my, this 
this was my segment on copyright. Generative, I fuck, I don't know. Have you seen or read anything good this last week? Yes. I feel like for the first time in this show's history, yeah. I have something uh, that is absolutely perfect for this part of the show where I always waffle. Oh, okay. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've had COVID for the past week. So I've had to sequester and isolate myself in my little home office media room. So you've had nothing but time to watch TV and consume yeah, media. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I had to do some stuff for the show and some other stuff. But I did watch Severance season one. Oh, yeah, sure, Tip sure. the tail. And it's fucking great. Yeah. I, I initially watched the first two episodes when I got COVID the last time, a year and a half ago. I stopped watching it to say, I think my wife would like this. I want to watch it with her. I tried watching it with her a couple months ago. She was so bored in the first episode. Oh, no. She's like, just turn it off. Oh, yeah, she hated it. Oh, okay. It was All too right. slow. She did not like different it. Different things for different people. I wanted her to watch a second episode. She wouldn't. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to watch the whole thing. And I watched it tip to tail. Man, that show is great. I don't want to give away anything to anybody, but I would strongly suggest you all go watch it. If you like the show, I think you would like that show. It's on uh, Apple TV Plus and it's excellent. I'm very excited. I think season two is going to drop sometime next year. Looking forward to binging that uh, next time I have COVID. Super cool. And congratulations on getting your first real wreck in. My first real wreck in? Oh, I know. Yeah. Isn't it great? It only took us, what, 49 <laughs> episodes? Yeah. My, I'm, I'm fast. I'm just an overperformer, aren't I? <laughs> you are an overperformer. <laughs> anyway, how about you? What'd you watch? Nyad, Annette Benning plays swimmer. Diana Nyad, three decades after giving up marathon swimming in exchange for a career as a sports journalist at the age of 60, Diana becomes obsessed with completing an epic swim that has always eluded her. The 110-mile trek from Cuba to Florida, determined to become the first person to finish the swim without a shark cage, Diana goes on a thrilling four-year journey with her best friend and coach, Bonnie Stoll, played to perfection by Jodie Foster. This is really good. Okay, wait a minute. I was pretty interested when you talked about the 60-year-old doing a 110-mile swim. I was like, oh, this sounds super interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm into this. Oh, no, it's incredible. And then you threw in the bit about the shark cage oh. and the her not using a shark cage. Yeah. And I'm like, a what now? Because it's considered an assisted swim if she swims with a, a shark oh, cage. Oh, I get it. So she had to swim without a shark cage. Yeah, it's assisted in keeping you alive. Oh, yeah. But how does that work? But they also have a have to deal with the fact that sharks will come to where she is. So there, That's an issue. Are that's there a snipers? real issue. What, how, oh, don't tell me. I'll just find yeah, out. Yeah, I won't tell you. Watch, watch the show. It's how does incredible. it work when you have a shark cage? Do they like troll the shark cage and you're swimming in the shark cage? But 100%. Like the they, the sharks you? don't know that there's a cage there. I get They just keep banging it. Okay, that's weird. That's a different episode. Yeah. But how do they... <laughs> How do they pull the cage and you not be in the wake of the boat? Like, that just sounds so complicated to The me. cage is in built front of the as boat? part of the boat. It's enormous. Okay. And, and it's like in front you, of the so boat. so you're not touching it. You're not touching yeah, it. Yeah, sure, sure, you're sure. You're swimming, but you're But it's got to be in front of the boat. So it's behind the boat. You're in the wake of the boat. It's both. It's the whole length of the boat. Oh, it's like a long side. Well, but it's like it's like almost two boats. There's almost like two sides to it. Wow. That's Because you think cool. about how big that cage has to be so she never accidentally touches it. Do they cover this in the film? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. All right. I'm looking oh, yeah. for what's it playing on? Nyad. It's on Netflix now. Make sure you see it. It's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out and maybe, maybe before the next show, I'll have comments on it. No problem. So Let's see how this COVID That works. is the episode. Thank you for joining us for all this nonsense, a truly terrible podcast from The Awful Company. This is on the web at nonsense.productions. I'm Steve Little. I'm Jeff Parker. If you like this program, please follow, download, subscribe, and like at Apple, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, our favorite Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. That was his thing on the thing. Podcast Index.org. Special thanks to our floor director, Martina Chaconis. Thank you, Martina. We'll be every Thursday morning for more things. Please join us. <laughs> I used all of my brain cells in that segment, and they're gone now. You spent them. They're just gone. No question. <laughs>